And what happened is, it was the weirdest thing. Out of the mist, it was like a movie. Out of the mist <laughs> came just like walking slowly the shaman of the ceremony. It was the most wait, wait, bizarre. Wait, the same shaman from yeah. the ceremony up on the hill was now. Same shaman. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's this, this podcast. It's aimed at folks who enjoy talking about heavy things lightly. We'll use theology and history and philosophy in years of deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures to figure out how did we get here. Our pod goes beyond rhetorical rabbits, instead examines contemporary cultural phenomena from what we call the old world leg. Join me, John Hears, and our team of First Things Foundation field workers as we wonder aloud, why are we talking about rabbits? This is episode 15. This is, is science and magic the same thing? A report from the field. Today, we're going to take a look at the notion of magic. What is it? But really, what I want to do is bring three First Things Foundation field workers. That's guys I know really well. who have spent a lot of time, more than seven years, as a team overseas in developing countries. And I want to bring them in for a conversation about the experiences with magic and old world mysticism and sort of just the angles of life that most of us on this side of the new world sometimes doubt as real. Interesting stuff. Before we bring them on, let's just dive in for a second, though, and talk about magic in terms of basic definitions. So some definitions we're working with in our conversation coming up. First, Harry Potter, that's magic, but not really, right? It's Hollywood magic. Uh, voodoo, it's a type of magic in our minds, the exorcist, right? Guys with a deck of cards, top hat, rabbits, ironically, right? That's all stuff we think about. It's real in the sense that it's become our our working definition in our creative mind or maybe not so creative Hollywood mind. Here's a definition from the dictionary, very new world book. Magic, the use of means such as charms and spells believed to have supernatural power over natural forces. Supernatural, natural. Here's a neo-pagan that's sort of a modern-day polytheist or a modern-day animist, maybe a Wiccan, but there's many, many types of neo-pagan descriptions of magic. Here's one. The art of consciously participating in the co-creative forces of the universe. Co-creating with forces. By directing energies of nature to cause desired changes, changes in one's life. There's this nature thing again. Nature, natural versus supernatural. All right, then there's this from a guy named Professor Hoffman who became like, he was called the famous magician. He wrote books in the late 1800s explaining what magic was. And he writes, uh, magic is an art, an art in which audiences are entertained by tricks or illusions of seemingly impossible feats 
using natural means. Now, we're going to get into our conversation. I'm not going to do a deep, deep dive on this history because it's fascinating and we'll come back to it. But for today, for today, I want to put one more definition out there and then we'll get to these guys uh, and our conversation about magic in the old world. C.S. Lewis, he came up last week too. So he's going to speak about magic in my most favorite way. And what he talks about is magic is a way to acquire power over nature. And in turn, what Lewis describes as the scientific urge, this urge in the modern age, is, is an urge to embrace magic. And here's what he means by modern magic. It's a materialistic magic that conquers nature in order to reward mankind with all he's ever dreamed for or dreamed of. So it's like using materials and the method called the scientific method to overcome materials and nature. It's interesting. He thinks of it as a magic that works. And in that way, magic is inherent in man's fallen nature because the fallen nature of man is utilitarian. In other words, it's the thing we use to try to get through the day. A fallen man, now you got to buy, right, that there is an angelic side to us, but a fallen man is naturally utilitarian and naturally self-directed because he wants to survive. And so science is a type of magic that works because it's super utilitarian and it gives us a chance to do more than survive. It gives us a chance to overcome nature. But if his definition is interesting to you, it also means that what is interesting to you is that we are all utilitarian by our fallen nature. Utilitarian here meaning we just like what's useful for our immediate betterment. Science is fallen man's magic. Hmm. For Lewis, magic and science are twin brothers because they both can function as ligs. Ligs here meaning the ligaments that hold the worldview together, a religion. They both go deeper and are enchanting on some level. Science and magic both demand the right type of spells. You have to do and say the right things in order to create the right outcomes for the immediate payoff or desire, right? And in this case, in the scientific case, it's the scientific method must be followed properly, right? And so for, for new world atheists, C.S. Lewis is talking about them. Evolution is this special and most unique explanation of how we've become powerful beings, beings that are able to see our own development in a way that allows us to conquer creation. So evolution is very enchanting, and it allows people like Richard Dawkins to say, Darwin and evolution made it possible for me to be fulfilled and atheistic. Because the dig on atheism is, the dig on new world atheism is, it's not fulfilling. But he's saying, hey, with evolution, this deeply magical kind of narration about my existence, bam, I can go pretty deep. And in that way, C.S. Lewis says, yeah, that's a leg, that's a religion. 
We can go all over the place. But really why Magic is on this podcast this week is because when you go do work in the old world, you bump up against it all the time. We're forced into asking questions about what it means to be mystical and what it means to enter into mystery. And we meet men and women overseas that practice willingly the art of mystery and witchcraft. We do. And in doing so, we're confronted with the deeply drawn lines of reason and rationality that dominate our own mind. So, I'm telling you, magic is real. <laughs> of course. But what is it? So let's just go listen. Let's just meet some. Let's meet Andrew Short, Riley Doris, Daniel Paternos. These guys are all former First Things Foundation field workers. They've been in the field for over two years, each of them. And uh, let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation and see if we can get at just what magic is. Everybody there, say hi, check in. Daniel, you there? Here. Riley? Here. Andrew? Present. Okay, good. Walking it in now and action. All right. Now we have guests. We've talked a little bit about magic, historically, philosophically. But now I'm bringing in three characters who actually, I mean, I think we say for sure experience the old world and I think some magical things. And now I want to talk about it. So I want to welcome in Daniel Paternos. He's a field worker from First Things, Sierra Leone. He's been back now in the States working with First Things for about, about eight months. Riley Doris, our first field worker in Guatemala. Uh, he served there 214, 216. I think actually, let me try that again. That's 215, 217, right, Riley? Yep, that's right. And then Andrew Short, who produces this with Daniel. Uh, he's currently in Russia. I, we might even try to drag some Russian old world stories out of him. But Andrew also served in Guatemala. So what we have here are folks I want to introduce you to on our pod, but folks who... I care deeply about and also have deep insight into what we've been talking about is magic. So let's talk, fellas. I want you to know that I feel magical about your presence on this podcast, but that's, is that, <laughs> is that, is that magic? Is that magic? <laughs> no, it's just a good feeling. But if the premise we're working on and here it is, is that magic is an attempt to control forces in order to acquire power. So control forces, whether they be spiritual forces, intellectual forces, physical forces, you control those for your benefit in order to acquire some sort of power over illness or power over another person. Did you guys experience anything like that? In your work overseas, Daniel, do you remember anything like that in Sierra Leone, West Africa? Yeah, man. Yeah, West Africa, they got something that they call juju. Uh, so if you heard of voodoo, that's like the Caribbean derivation from, from juju, which originated in uh, 
parts of West Africa. It's really, really common in, I think, Benin. Is that right, John? Togo? Yeah, yeah that's right. But Big time. it's all around Sierra Leone today, too. So, yeah, there's all sorts of that stuff. And so you grew up in Colorado. Do you remember as a young kid in Colorado thinking, hey, I experienced some juju, some magic, something uh, unusual? Do you remember anything like that? I remember watching Paranormal Activity, and that felt juju-ish, but no. But you, were, but you weren't experiencing it per se. You were watching it. Oh, yeah. But that's not the case in West Africa. Didn't you get in? Like, tell us the story. Tell us, well, one of the stories before we came on, you were telling us about with some pretty interesting uh, occurrences. Yeah, so it's interesting, and I'm not an expert by any stretch, but I've seen different forms of juju happening and i think sometimes it happens for healing there's like juju doctors who like if you break your arm you go to them and they have certain herbs or or techniques to heal and then there's also like um going along with your definition like uh forms of juju that either expel spirits or are meant to harm others um or even meant to like bring justice in certain ways mm-hmm. so i've kind of seen all different forms um maybe an interesting one to start with would be a form of healing that i've seen uh so in, in sierra leone there's a local alcohol that they that they drink it's called palm wine mm-hmm. um or pollo and mende and in order to get palm wine they have to climb up these really really huge palm trees and there's sometimes like 30 40 50 feet and so there's only one specific tribe that has the courage to climb up the trees um according to are you what climbing I hear. up a and tree right now what is that <laughs> is there a weird sound <laughs> yeah i feel like right now are you actually experiencing a, a juju spell <laughs> I don't know. I'm just sitting outside. It's kind of windy. Maybe that's what you're hearing. Maybe. Keep going. I want to hear this, but I wanted to make sure that you were currently safe. Yeah, I'm okay. Sorry about the noise. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so this this one tribe called the Limba, they are poyo harvesters. So they'll climb up the trees and they have like tree branches and ropes that they use to climb up. But, I mean, I've seen what they use. It's not like a harness in carabiners it's pretty sketchy and as you can imagine every once in a while they fall out of the tree um for various reasons like i don't know there's like snakes up there right here and wow i mean people fall out of trees when they climb up trees and so of course when you fall out of a tree you break something and um i've heard stories about people breaking legs backs and so the across the board because i've i found this really interesting so i've you know traveled across sierra leone and asked different tribes what they what they do and follow someone falls out of a tree and pretty much the common response is first you dig a hole around where the person fell and then you put the person in the hole like like all the way in up to their neck whoa you bury them and so it's just their head sticking out and then you take a chicken and you break the part of the chicken's body that was broken on the, the person who fell out of the tree. So if it's a leg, they break the chicken's leg. And then they bury the chicken next to the person. Um, and then basically, I think after a short time, they, t- they take the chicken out of the hole 
and the chicken's walking around, but it has a broken leg. And so for a while, you know, you can imagine a chicken's not going to be able to move too much if it's debilitated. But then after maybe two days, maybe even two weeks, the chicken starts limping around. And then by the time the chicken can walk, they're like, okay, the guy is healed and they'll take him out of the hole and he's fine. He just walks around. He stayed in the hole during the chicken's healing process. During the chicken's healing process, he's been in a hole. I, I'm curious to know if they feed him or what that's like. But You did not um, see this, but you know this to be a common remedy. I, everyone tells me this is what happens. Yeah, I haven't seen it, though. Wow. So is there some sort of symbolic, um, sort of um, uh, almost uh, some sort of natural, like, brotherhood? Are they, are they trying to create some, some, some sort of relationship? Or is there a belief that there is a relationship between the natural world, in this case, the chicken and the man? There is, right? There's something, there's some fundamental symbolic truth that they see in making something or two things equal. That's interesting. Super interesting. I don't know the answer, but they're definitely trying to do an equation there that makes the chickens, that, that has the chicken take the pain and suffering of the man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that concept of like the scapegoat and sacrifice is pretty common too. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty brutal actually. Um, the things I've heard about, especially during uh, like the civil war that was in Sierra Leone from the nineties up to 2002, um, there would be various uh, like warlords who wanted to have power and uh, according to their traditional beliefs, they, they think that there's some equivalent equivalence between yes. mm-hmm. uh, achieving power and, and sacrificing something. So like I had a friend whose sister was sacrificed, um, like burned alive. And I guess oh. the reason was because somebody was trying to attain power. So maybe that's the same thing that's happening with the chicken. Um, it, it sure seems similar to me. Well, in Christian, in Christian theology, I mean, I, I know that in history, you'll see various non-Christian ethnic religious or ligs, as per this podcast, you'll see priests describing Christ as, in, in terms of Calvinistic tradition, as the substitute for us. Therefore, we don't have to suffer. That's the way many pre-Christian, or I should say, uh, non-Christian ethnic groups and religions understand Christ easily as a substitute for our suffering, even though I don't think that's maybe the Christian understanding. But it's super interesting that that would be one of their magical... Yeah, I think, I mean, you guys, Andrew and Riley, you were in Guatemala, and I, I think there's a lot of interesting old world traditional medicine stuff happening there too. And I think you're onto something there, John. Like I think with, with a lot of these traditional cosmological systems, there's always some sort of balance where like, there's going to be consequences for certain actions. And so like, for example, uh, like if you, if you're up really, really late partying and drinking the consequences, the next morning you have a hangover, mm-hmm. like you don't just get one without the other. And, um, I think, so I was reading Matthew Pajot recently and he was talking about how in the old Judaic understanding of um, sacrifice and justice, if like the, the consequences of murder 
is blood vengeance or building civilization. And so mm-hmm. either, you know, like Cain is killed and then, well, there's going to be a consequence. Like I think it's something like sevenfold on the other side has to be killed according to that old world understanding, yep. like to, to get the balance back. And um, yeah, I think Christianity has its own, maybe it's the answer to that, but I think there's also, I mean, obviously I just got back from liturgy. There's, there's a sacrifice happening. Um, it's quite different from that blood vengeance, but it's still sacrificial. I mean, there's well, an altar. So, well, this is interesting. So the Semitic tribes uh, that were living alongside the Jews. So going back to um, uh, going back basically to, to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, basically what they did and what they believed in many, many people believe this, especially in the pre Islamic uh, Arabian world is that the world is flat. It sits on a fulcrum and that every time somebody does something out of whack, for instance, goes and steals your goats, then the earth has tilted. And then that, that tilting causes everyone to have to live and move around in a way that is unnatural. So the only way to get the tilt back to even is to go and steal goats from that person or take goats in that sense. And so that, but that applies to everything. So let's just say you accidentally leave the, the, the coal burning and then you accidentally burn down your friend's house. Well, your friend will literally go and burn down your house. And the idea is to put things back in order, which of course you can see in the Christian story. You can see it a little bit. I mean, I don't know about the chicken. I mean, is the chicken putting things back in order by taking a hit for the guy who fell out of the tree? I don't know if that applies. (laughs) I mean, we're not scientists of this, but that's an interesting story. Riley, you got anything from Guatemala? I think we were together at at some events that were pretty fascinating. Um, yeah, I, man, I wish I had stories about you and magic. I mean, being with you was magical. Uh, <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> but Riley, I, tell I, these people I, who you are. How old are you, Riley? Uh, I'm 27. Yeah. So you came uh, down when we just were starting Guatemala, helped me dug, dig that house out of the jungle and we started our work. Um, and so we did see a lot together what do you remember seeing above all else maybe, or at least along with some of the other things? Well, yeah, Andrew did a great job reminding me of a, of a story from kind of pre Andrew days. Andrew was my roommate. He came down uh, a few months after I arrived there, but essentially we went out to a really rural Western village in the Western highlands of Guatemala. And we became really good friends with this group who is building uh, basically building a, a building there kind of close by their nonprofit. And in order to do this, in order for that land to be used for this purpose, they were required by the community to make various sacrifices or very attend various ceremonies of Mayan tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a series of about four or five different ceremonies they would attend throughout the year, um, perhaps according to the seasons. I can't quite remember. And at these ceremonies, you know, was the, there was the classic, you know, everyone who was part of the building attended and there was something like a shaman who was present there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, you know, various sacrifices of candles, um, you know, Quetzalteca is the local alcohol and that's put in the fire, um, you know, kind of as, 
as I understand it, like a, a gift to that which grants you, you know, permission to, to do the thing you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a, a God. Yeah. Yeah. So a God or a spirit, you know, some, something, some deity that protects you or guides you or something. Right. Okay. Uh, and one of the stipulations for everyone who attended the ceremony, and it was great because I attended one of them as well, was that you kind of following this ceremony for the next, you know, two to three weeks, you were not supposed to partake in kind of drunken behaviors. You're not supposed to drink alcohol. Um, you're not supposed to smoke and you weren't supposed to uh, have any sort of sexual relations. And no smoke, was, no drink, no sex. That's right. That's the right. People who yeah. are at the ceremony you're talking about. Yeah, that's correct. And the priests as well, like the shamans and the assistants is basically everybody who was involved went, was supposed to go through this like post. What's the shaman like? Does he got like a trousers and Western shirt on? Oh, totally. Yeah, he does. Okay. <laughs> he just okay. becomes the that's shaman. Well, he's um, inherited it. I think he's inherited that talent. That, I'll, I'm going to tell you a story about West Africa in a minute, but I think there's a type yeah. of inheritance, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah. Um, so anyway, what was interesting was that, you know, all, all the attendees of this new organization were millennials, right? And they're just looking, at, they're all from Europe, and they're all just like Eastern Europe, and they're all just like, gosh, we're not going to stop drinking and smoking and partaking in our sexual endeavors for three weeks. That sounds terrible. Crazy. And we're in the middle of nowhere in Guatemala. Like, this is how we get by. You know, of course, we're going to keep doing these things. And so, you know, they, they all see it as superstition, you know, et cetera. And um, sure. so kind of following this, uh, you know, the, 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 the owners of the organization found out that many people had been doing these things and, you know, they wanted to get things right. And we were worried that something would happen. And of course, it was all just superstition until one night we were all in the back of this pickup truck that was being driven by one of the heads of the organization, you know, a bunch of us like 20 something year olds. By one of the Eastern Europeans? Uh, this guy was actually uh, from Guatemala. Okay. Yeah. But the rest of the Eastern Europeans and me were in the back of the truck and, you know, 15 people crammed in as you do. Oh, okay. And, it's a party truck. Yeah. We arrive at our destination in almost the Nango, And just as we're pulling into town, it's this dark, misty night. We just, and a tire pops off. And we're all just freaking like out. We're off like, or flat? Like off. The whole thing comes off. Like the lug nuts come <laughs> off. The entire rim. Like it's just Whoa. an axle grinding on the ground. It was like really bizarre. Like I'd never seen this happen in a car before. And given we were overloading the the back by, you know, several hundred pounds that we shouldn't have been putting okay, back Okay, right. There's your uh, enlightenment new world. Rational. I, yeah, yeah, I like it. I get very it. Very rational. That's sense. what anyone would say though, right? Yeah. And so we all kind of get out and look at it and we're just like, God, that was weird. The tower had rolled like, you know, 50 meters away and someone had to go get it. And what happened is it was the weirdest thing out of the mist. It was like a movie out of the mist (laughs) came just like walking slowly. The shaman of the ceremony. It was the the same shaman from the ceremony up on the hill was now shaman. Was that right? Was the was the ceremony real near where your truck crashed? Uh, that's a good question. It was in the same township, yes. So it wasn't an exact location, but it was it was close by. But he like came out of the mist. Yeah, yeah, and he walked up to us and he just said, "Gosh, it looks like you're having some tire trouble." 
And we all looked at each other. We're like, gosh, that's the shaman, man. And then very quickly, we started asking each other, were, were you having sex? Were you smoking? <laughs> then everyone was like, of course I was. Like, we don't believe in this stuff. It was unbelievable. It was just the creepiest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> so, oh, let's hear another story because we got to get back to that. Because there's a new world, old world concept. I love it that there's a bunch of new worlders driving around. And then they suffer the old world reality, maybe, the magic. That's another thing we got to get into. But Andrew, you're in Russia right now. How would you describe Russia, by the way? Old world or new world? Uh, mixed. Yeah, it feels pretty, that way, right? Yeah, pretty mixed. Pretty mixed. I think uh, up until recently, uh, historically speaking, it's been pretty, the old world has been sort of gutted in a lot of ways. Sort of making a comeback. Um, That's true. The and, communist and some things never is new world, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything everything to do with that period is definitely not old world. So tell um, us real quick, if people don't know, where did you grow up? Uh, Wisconsin. And then you were related to me basically because you're my mom's godson. We met. You joined FTF. Guatemala, mm -hmm. and then you got married to a Russian and are now in Russia. Yeah, yeah, that is Working. correct. Living near and around. Do you ever hear of Baba Yaga when you're in Russia? Oh, yeah. There's a restaurant called Baba Yaga. Because she's sort of a witch, right, in Russia? Yeah, yeah. She's, she's like the old crone that gets children when they're naughty. Do you feel that that, like that story is alive and well or alive and dying or coming back? Do people talk about it or you don't really notice? You know, I think for sure um, in terms of like fairy tales and stuff like that, there is a sense that mm, I think they're better preserved here. Mm. But in terms of actually believing it, I, I, I would say no. Okay. I don't think anybody actually believes in that kind of stuff. What about um, in Guatemala? Do you remember anything that stands out as a story about uh, the unexplainable, the magic? <clears throat> well, yes and no. I mean, it's nothing uh, like <laughs> bizarre and and creepy like Riley's story, or or as shocking as Daniel's. But it's sort of um, well. I'll just tell you so. When, when I was down there, we were working with a fellow Pablo, we'll call him. And uh, Pablo had a small business, which had uh, basically run on some very hard times. Mm -hmm. And around the same time, we had a, a, a priest visit from the States. An American priest. And yeah, an in, American piece in the piece. Catholic tradition or Orthodox or what? Orthodox, of, Orthodox Christian, Orthodox. Tradition. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, he was there just visiting, uh, checking things out and, and looking around, and we were sort of acting as, as guides. But uh, anyways, Pablo, we we were going to meet with him because I think it was I think it, I want to say it was the week of uh, Semana Santa, like Easter in the Catholic tradition. But I can't. 
can't remember. There was some sort of there was some sort of feast that was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we we're gonna go over and talk to him. And uh, the priest came along, and we get there, and definitely you can tell something's something's very off. Um, he's the Pablo's there. Uh, his his wife is there, and they're not really talking. Everything's really tense, and we're in this crowded little room. And it's really hot. It's hot. And uh, before anything really happens, you know, Paula's like, hey, really sorry. Dinner's not going to happen tonight. I apologize. We didn't have the stuff, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, no worries. And then the priest turns to me and he's like, there, something's going on. Like, ask him. Something's wrong here. And so I But you aren't there with the priest for, quote, religious reasons. You're visiting as friends. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing, nothing to do with any of this stuff. But what quickly what quickly happens is that the, there's like this whole story comes out and pretty soon like Pablo and, and his wife are in this shouting match and I'm translating for this priest and there's sort of this impromptu like marriage counseling session going on and I'm sort of staring at the ceiling and then at my feet and then back at the ceiling and I don't really <laughs> know what's going on at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, but it gets to the point where we start talking about Pablo's business and, and what had happened quite recently is that his employees, uh, crashed, uh, basically his small, small business, um, van was like Mm -hmm. a delivery van had crashed it and sort of just left it somewhere. And then also, stole all of the money and a good portion of his, uh, his product, like yep. the raw materials that, yep. that he had, you know, we were trying to figure out this stuff. I was like, all right, well, you know, like what happened and you know, like how can we prevent this in the future? Blah, blah, blah. And then I think because this Orthodox priest was there, he starts saying, I'm pretty sure I've been cursed. And pretty soon he's telling us, he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, there's other, there's other businesses like mine in town. And I am convinced that they've paid a shaman to place a curse on my business. And that's why this is happening. Whoa, whoa. All right. He's like, and, and so then we started, we kind of got into this conversation and he's saying, yeah, I'm, you know, that that's why the delivery van crashed is because they, they definitely cursed that. And they stole everything from my business because somebody wants me to fail. Like this is all like somebody paid for it. Now, is it somebody, some human, or does he think it's an entity that's out to get him to fail? Or does he think it's, it's a person? It's competitors. It's competitors who have paid for the services of a Mayan shaman who works, I guess you would say black magic. I, okay. I'm not sure that's right. what the exact. That's right. Black magic being just simply spiritual power used for bad correct that's one definition sure go ahead yeah interesting to then make sure that he failed and his business would go under so what's the priest doing hearing the curse (laughs) so then so then the priest is like well this is very simple all all he's like do you do you believe in god he's like are you a christian and pablo said yes He's like, great. We're, I have all the stuff with me. 
we're just going to quickly, we're going to bless your business. We're going to take care of this curse. And, and that's what we did. <laughs> so hold on. I have all this stuff with me. What the heck's that mean? Well, the priest said this, had, like, um, what, like, like in his soul or what's he talking about? No, I guess, uh, you know, vestments. Um, oh, like holy water. Uh, yeah. Holy water. Uh, oh, wow. I think there was something else. There was a couple other things. Can any of you guys hear right now a response from a new worlder, like a really strong new worlder saying, oh, look, it's two shamans going, shamans going at it. Because, yeah, absolutely. Right? Because the Orthodox priest starts pulling out like a toolkit of spiritual healing. That is what most people think that Christianity is, right? It's like a, a form of, I don't know, superstitious slash magical thinking. And Andrew, you're experiencing like, a battle of it in that room. Yeah, the spiritual counterpunch. So what what did he did did this priest did he did he do the counterpunch? What did it look like? Oh what yeah. Happened? Oh yeah. We everything got got the holy water treatment and the van especially. <laughs> the van got liberally doused in holy water. He took it out and, to the van. I, oh yeah. Oh yeah. What's Pablo? And I'll, I'll thinking be honest. At that point, Pablo is super grateful, super grateful, because he saw it as a type of of a white mad, a white mad. He saw it as a a proper spiritual reordering, like he <sighs> tilting the world back into order. You know, maybe, maybe it's 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 hard to say because at least in Guatemala, the blend of Mayan. Uh, traditional belief and Christianity. I, you know, I don't know if he would have felt the same if a if a Mayan priest came in and then annulled the the curse using Mayan uh, ritual, right? Right. If, if that was the case, if that was the same, I, I'm not sure. I couldn't say. So interesting. And in the end, Pablo felt somewhat set right. Yeah. And he Relieved, wasn't an Orthodox guy, right? He's not a, in, is he a traditional Orthodox Christian? Pablo? <laughs> uh, no, no, but there was some additional interesting conversation around that topic, but we don't have to go into that. <laughs> but it is interesting, though, that he wasn't necessarily of that quote magic. Now, I don't believe it to be magic. Magic's important, as I talked about earlier in the pod. It, Magic is a loaded word that has, it has to have cultural context and it, it implies all sorts of supernatural, but just for this moment, I'm using the word magic to say that he was willing to use a magic, not quote his own Orthodox Christianity to help him regardless of what his own magic was. I think, I know Pablo, isn't he sort of a evangelical Christian guy from Guatemala? I think he was more Catholic, actually. Catholic, okay. But the key was, is they were both aligned against some pretty negative magic. Correct. Yeah. That's interesting. I I wonder, like, if you, if, I don't know, uh, a, a New World person were there and having this conversation with Pablo, if they would, if their approach to his sort of anxiety about having this curse would just to say, would just be to say, listen, man, it's not real. That's not a curse. And I wonder if that would have been less effective 
than what this priest did? That's a good question. In other words, is one of the ways I was just listening to John Verveke would speak with um, the other Peugeot, Jonathan Peugeot. He was like, one of the great ways to make people feel better after terrible trauma is to tell them there is no plan. Because what people look for after the trauma, say losing a daughter or losing a limb, is why did this happen? And this, he, he's a sort of a new atheist. He was saying, the best way to say there is no plan, and it takes all the pressure off. In this case, there was, it was like the planned guy, the priest, fighting against another planned guy, the shaman, all with a plan and a purpose to a higher meaning. If you just said there is no curse, there is no plan, there is no purpose, just go on with your day, does that help, Pablo? I wonder. Right. I don't think so. I don't think so. And and actually, I think if you did have, let's say, somebody who didn't have any cultural context, New World, talking to this guy, it never, he would have never, I don't think, brought up the curse. I think it's something. Um, oh, oh, the, the, Pablo was more likely to bring up the. So there is some equation going on, guys, where sort of like a new world team and an old world team. And it feels like the Orthodox priest and the Catholic priest, the shaman, they're all sort of playing the same rules by the same old world rules on some level. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely, in the conversation, uh, the priest opened up the spiritual question first. He started talking like, all right, like, well, what's going on spiritually? You going to church? You know, what's going on here? Oh. And then that eventually led to him talking about his feeling that he was cursed. Riley, go back to your, I think the Eastern European people that I know, they're, they're mostly non-believers in kind of anything. They're, they're classic sort of um, secular folks doing beautiful work. When that tire rolled off, did anybody like, decide to become a shaman practicing Mayan? Uh, no, definitely not. I think everyone just thought it was a funny slash strange coincidence. Right. Okay. And, yeah. but the, what's funny though, is that the, the leaders of the organization took it very seriously after that. So they, because they were concerned about, you know, the future and health of their organization, they basically clamped down on all the other stuff happening, even though the rest of the people didn't really care about it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Out of a respect for culture, but less fear for the curse. Yeah. Like maybe, gosh, you know, maybe there's a slim, slim chance that this thing does work and there is some sort of undercurrent of spiritual power working here and maybe we should respect <laughs> it. You know, reason <laughs> is at play. That's definitely. Wow. So I have a story that ties into this is this is in Mali, Western Mali, really traditional country that's traditionally Muslim, but old school too. I'm talking a lot of paganism behind the scenes, or if you don't like paganism, a lot of naturalistic animistic religions. And so when I got to the village, guys, I was really out there. There weren't many other Westerners around, none. None, no electricity, no running water. And when I first got there, I was just known as an outside entity. And I just assumed everybody was really Muslim, but they weren't. Uh, and I learned because within the first couple months, this one character, he was a hunter and he would 
he would dress a little differently than everybody. A hunter was like a, a type of inheritance too. Like your family was the hunter family. And I would see this guy, he wouldn't go to the field and he would come around, but he only came at night. And the first couple of times he came, he brought me pig, these, these bush pigs, really small. But these, these pigs he would bring me, he would have already prepared them, cut them, skin them. And then he would try to give them to me where actually he would sell them to me. And I would say, right on, man. And he would, I was like, why doesn't he give? And I realized, of course, they don't eat pork and he's breaking the rules. On his second or third trip, he said, you know, my father and his father, they gave me the ability to hunt. But what we really are is we're the priests of the traditional juju. And I was like, wow, I didn't believe. I was thoroughly new world. And I said, nah, man, come on. That's really interesting. But you're just trying to make a buck because I eat pork. And he's like, no, I'm telling the truth. So he was a little adversarial because I was kind of really willing to come at him. Like, so you guys do tricks and stuff. He's like, no, but we've acquired a power and we were trained in it. And everybody knows, but nobody spoke about it. And you know why, right? Is because they were practicing Muslims. So there was a lid on it, but everybody knew it, but I didn't. And so I took the guy on. And one time he, he invited me to his village. It was, it's really a village outside of a village. It's just a small little outcropping near the village. And I went out in the night and I met his uncle and I met his father. And his uncle started to convince me of his magic powers and that he could see things and do things. And I was like, all right, what can you do? And so this is true. He, he, he had these little notebooks that kids have for school. He had a notebook. He tore out a piece of paper, crumpled it, and set it in front of me, but just about an arm's length from him. And they started to encant prayers. There was an incantation going on. And at some point, this, this uncle started sweating like crazy, like sweating, really sweating. Duh, like, and he was sweating. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking and it's dark. You know, there's candles lighting up the room. And then he holds his hand over the paper and starts to just, I can't explain it. It's not really shake, but just sweat. And the paper caught on fire. And he was not touching the paper. And I went like, oh, whoa. <laughs> and I like stopped. And I'm like, whoa. And then he sat back. And then his father and, and uh, his nephew just start laughing. They just walk over and knock the paper off. It's just a small little piece of paper. And it goes on the ground. And then it burns out. But the uncle is like, done. He just sprawls back and he's sort of tired and he just sits and doesn't says anything. And then they go on to explain, yeah, this is the power. We've acquired this through all these prayers and all of our ancestors, the power within us, and we can harness stuff. And I was like, what? And I left. And here's the thing. You just didn't talk about it because everyone went to mosque. And, you know, I would go around the mosque too on Fridays. And I would see that guy from time to time. And guess what? I was scared. True story. And so that experience fits perfectly. I was listening to a podcast about how Wiccans are new magic 
um, uh, religions describe magic, and it's that it's 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 power over forces generally uncontrolled by human beings, and then applying them for reasons either for your good or for bad. And that was what they called gray magic. That was neutral. It was like to show off. It didn't hurt me, but it also wasn't for anybody's benefit. What do you think about that? It's crazy. That happened. Now, what do you think my buddy said in Peace Corps? My, You're crazy. <laughs> no, they went, that dude set you up. That's why I had you come over at night. They had that thing lit for fire. It was probably on the bottom of the table. You didn't see it. Yeah, so there's I, always an excuse. So then. Or a logical explanation. What is it, though? There's some logical explanation, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm the cat who's willing to believe, and I do, that Christ is present in the communion. I don't know if that's magic, but that is not logical. So does that make folks who believe that irrational? And then you see that what happens to magic is it, as I talked about earlier in the pod, what you see is there's this magic comes, it arises in the Middle Ages, late in the Middle Ages, Late, just as the Christian world starts to break apart into the Protestant Reformation, that's when magic's at its height. And then magic becomes really maligned, especially, right, as uh, irrationalism and superstition with the Enlightenment. Mm. The Enlightenment is the time when magic takes a pretty big hit. It's because new world rationalists cannot understand or better yet don't believe that it's possible to break those kind of physical laws. And today what you have is magic coming back. It's kind of interesting, right? Hmm. There's all these sort of new paganisms, uh, the neo-pagans and they like magic. So John, I have a question. So correct me if you're wrong, your definition of, I guess, old world magic is having something like power over something else at a distance in order to control it. And that can be used for good or evil. Am I right so far? Yeah, that's, that's the definition I'm working with on this pod. Yeah. They're and really so, slippery definitions, by the way, though. So I'm curious, like, how is science that? Because, I mean, electricity to, the, to me doesn't even really make sense rationally if i'm honest um like i i switch on the light and then all of a sudden i can see things and that's like me exerting power over distance without really knowing the mechanical um consequences of the electrodes or i don't even know how it works um well, or even like yeah, i don't true. know it just seems like science like all like all like the the creation of electricity the creation of energy the even when I'm speaking to you over the phone right now, it, it like my words are having sort of, I guess, power over your thoughts in a certain way. Um, it's awesome. It's but really like, is this, is this magic right now? Or is this what magic has become? What's going on? Okay. So let's just use C.S. Lewis. Uh, that's a couple weeks in a row that we're talking about him, but it's worth it. What he's going to argue. Okay. In his books and in his novels is, Basically, 
there's two different activities happening. One activity is spiritual, physical, intellectual power used to glorify the creator, a creator, or physical, spiritual, um, uh, intellectual power used to glorify or gratify the individual slash the group. In other words, one power is always spent, sent up and the other power is always sent back down. And what C.S. Lewis is going to say is, is magic is understood in most, not all, um, non-monotheistic faiths is always geared toward either getting someone to do something right now or getting you to have the power to benefit right now. So what it is, is, is the power is geared back toward the world, the earth, the material reality. It exists and it's real, but it's, its purpose is for this world. In, in well, what C.S. Lewis says is the other type of power is always aimed at glorification of God. So, or the good. In other words, it would be so that I might, right, I would have the power to heal so that this person may find God. Boom. I would never heal so that this person might get a Mercedes. Way to go. That's magic. <laughs> but I healed this person or was given the power to heal this person so they might know God. That's true religion. This is a type of argument C.S. Lewis is making. And that whether it's unseen or not, all aspects of power and harnessing the harnessment of power or the harnessing of power is a type of magic. He doesn't use magic or a miracle or beauty or love or whatever it is. It's a type of manifestation of either good or bad. And ultimately what he would say, and I think many Christians would say is, is if it's not for God, then it ends up being not for good. You see how that works? And so what is electricity? <laughs> it's definitely magic. But what's it geared for? If it's actually being created by people who are only interested in serving other people for the, that's it. Not that those other people may know something more beautiful than the world. It's bad. Or even worse, even worse, if you're designing something so that you might gain power over others in the world, like super bad. So, I don't know if that's true, what I just said. I know that's a, I'm sort of mimicking in some ways what C.S. Lewis is arguing in a lot of his books, including Abolition of Man. What do you guys think about that? And your, and your old world experiences. How, how does something like this relate, though, um, when, when we talk about just to round this out? Because we have the we have the Christian perspective, which I would assume is very similar to um, a Muslim perspective. But how would this translate into something along the lines of um, like Taoism, right? Where mm. are there? I I don't know. Is, There's no is division. Other spirits. I don't know enough about about that religion to understand if it's. Yeah, the Far East has all the same concepts, but you got to realize. Yeah, Shintoism, right? The kami, the, the, the ancient Japanese religions, the kamikaze, right? That was, you guys know what that is, planes that flew in. But actually, that's the holy wind manifest in a plane, manifest in it dropping on you mm -hmm. and blowing up your ship. So the holy wind 
or the Holy Spirit in that case is delivering a manifestation of its will. And so that's East. See, in the East, in general, in the East, Persian East, Orthodox East, the Asian East, which is generally old, what you see is that there is no dichotomy and division. It's only where you find this atheistic new world understanding of science that you can even have the conversation. Does it make any sense? Right. So does, in that case, does electricity, for instance, or let's say turning on a light, is that become the manifestation of the light spirit? What, like, is that, is that a type of, or, or when I type a search into Google, right. is that, am I, is that sort of a prayer? Like, how does that trans, like, is there a way to use old world vocabulary with this stuff? No, just think of it. I mean, guys, I don't have the answer to this. I'm just doing a pod on it. And, you know, you guys experience some different stuff. I mean, I think we could all jump in. I, I don't know, but I will say, think of it as force. So there is a force that goes, you press the keyboard. It's a type of force. And that force produces a reaction that creates a reaction that creates a, a search that creates an answer to your question. But what's behind the force? Are you trying to find out, like when I watch 48 Hours, inevitably it's the husband who did a search that got him arrested because he's like, search for, you know, how to tie up a person so that they die slowly. Like the force going through your search, right? The force is pushed by something very dark. The tools, the actual computer tools, yeah, okay, they're all manipulated to be used for, and then there's like a blank. And so in the old world, it's all magical. If you don't like magical, it's all spiritual. It just manifests itself differently, isn't it? I find that super interesting. Hmm. You're always participating in the spirit. This podcast right now has a spirit to it. I think, so what keeps jumping out at me is like, I love that we started with the old world definition, but I can just hear basically 99% of the, my generation in the West going, the, the real definition of magic is that which you don't understand. Like it's something that happens and you don't get it. So like if you see a plane flying through the sky in, you know, in, uh, in Mali and you've never seen a plane before, then, then you're like, God, oh, that's, that's magic. Like something is happening there. And I think that the West would just be like, yeah, yeah, you just don't understand it yet. And the West's answer to not being them not understanding it is science, right? So that's why they don't think magic exists because they have, like science is their replacement for it. It's like Okay, okay. But Riley, you might, I don't. We could ask Andrew because he's not an engineer. I don't understand how a plane flies. Therefore, it's magic. Uh, yeah, I think that's what, what people would say. But then hold on, because C.S. Lewis gets back into this, too. This is super fascinating. So then who does fully understand it? It's very few people who become like priests of the magic. Like my, my, my brother-in-law, Tim Berg, who's a pilot at Boeing. I mean, well, he's like a design. He's an engineer. He's the priest of flying. So I go to him to fully understand flying because I don't. 
and he's tamed the magic. Oh, much like the voodoo priestess who I saw put a spell. Right. Yeah, I get what you're saying because even in the Orthodox tradition, like I don't understand how how the Eucharist works, but that doesn't mean that it's not real, right? Or that, like, yeah, a priest has way more experience than I do, and I just trust in them. Well, he's that, participating in it, right? Yeah, yeah, and so are you when you get on a plane. You're participating in the plane flying. Therefore, I, I might come closer to understanding, but if you tried to get me to be a missionary of flying and explain it to people, I think I would do what like a pagan witch would do, is I would say, just trust me, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get, I get, yeah, I get where you're coming from. This is just one conception of it that makes total sense to me. And that's why the lig, the thing you really follow in terms of wisdom and truth and philosophy, whatever lig you've already been dipped into will determine what magic is to you. That's why new worlders say it's not, it's just that which you don't understand. But the old worlders would say, okay, that makes you a really practitioner of magic because I know Mr. New World guy, you don't know a whole bunch of stuff like how a refrigerator works. I mean, we'll start there. Really? How does that thing? There's a compressor. I get it. Most people just open the fridge. They'll have the priest of refrigeration tell them about it. So there's more stories. I could tell a story about when I walked in on this priest who was doing this sand um, ceremony where he had pictures and candles. It's really interesting. And he was reading the sand he had laid out the night before. He was reading it to see where the little creatures had run on it. And then they had run on it overnight. It was like a, you know, a, a roach or, a, or a, a cricket or a mouse and made tracks. And then that night before he had placed pictures of various people. And now he was going to read the sand according to where the footsteps went and then tell the family who paid him to do the reading what's going to happen to their family. I walked in on that guy and he turned around. It was a dark room and he had candles on. And I said, oh, and I ran out of there. And what I'm saying is, is that story feels magic-y. But does that make it also not real and a big lie? Do you guys feel like the stories you told are just superstitious people who need to get a good education? It's interesting. I think there's a difference between like, I guess in new world speak, like the mechanical causality of magic and the psychological causality of magic. So like an airplane flying, obviously no, like everyone would say, yeah, the airplane's flying. I can see it. Like I can use my senses and I know that the airplane's flying somehow, but certain things like, um, what's an example? Like, like for example, uh, there was something stolen from this compound I was living in, um, in Sierra Leone in Freetown. And suddenly the next day there were just three random guys that showed up completely naked with paint all over their bodies and they're dancing around and, and they're dancing, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes and they, they just left. And I was like, what were they doing? And someone said, Oh, it's simple. Like they were, they were like cultivating the spirits to go and like cast a spell on the person who stole and mm -hmm. we don't know who it was. And so, I mean, they, they were doing that dance 
so that it would it would happen and maybe i don't know maybe there's some sort of uh psychological disposition maybe psychological is not the best word maybe cultural disposition of of the person who stole where now the the juju practices happened and they know that something bad's going to happen to them the next day mm-hmm. and something about i don't know I, I hate sounding like a new world psychologist but maybe their psychological disposition puts them in different circumstances that allows bad things to happen to them sure. but so i think one like like science for example like refrigerators do work and there's not disagreement against that but i think maybe juju or magic is cultural and um and that maybe like the ceremonies orient the culture in a certain direction to uh to allow these things to happen in the soul rather than mechanically does that make sense yeah so the the magic of the material world manipulating the material world in a scientific way is like pretty solid magic it's like magic we should all trust like that and then there's the other magic that's really culturally contextual. Which does work, but may, maybe, I don't, I don't know, man. That's a hard question. Well, we don't I, have to know. We're just sort of bouncing it around. But it, is, it, is it also uh, a matter of faith? Because I would say I don't have to have faith in my refrigerator for it to work. It works regardless of whether I believe it's going to work or not. But if I go to the shaman and I believe in what he's doing, is that a part of it? Sort of faith in what is what is happening, and that's why the you know us as New World folk would look at that and be like, I, I don't, I don't have faith in that, and you can't prove it's real. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's interesting. You know, one another conception. It's super that 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 really it I would say above all the things that I've said anyway, that makes the most sense to me is there's a type of magic, if you like science, that's about being over or overcoming the natural world, turning the natural world into my subject. And in the old world, the magic is always meant for you to Right. At least the good magic, I would say, in my case, the Orthodox Christian magic is meant for you to properly align with. It's not over, it's with. Like yin and yang. One's not over the other. They're with. They're in they're in they're in concert. Where science is meant to overcome in some ways uh the natural world and harness it for the benefit of quote humanity or humans. And the other one is really a more of a concert, a dance, where you're supposed to find your proper place within it. It's another way to think of it. Um, But would you say, in the end, the old world religious mm, rituals, the spirit world that that existed in Guatemala, Sierra Leone, Mali, um, would you guys say that it was relevant? And then we'll finish up. Was it relevant? Could you feel it at work? Or is it dying? I think it became, uh, the older you became, the more relevant it seemed to be. At least that's the way. Or or actually, no. The farther you moved away from 
let's say uh, the bigger cities. So the, the more oh, Western so urbanization, places, right? Yeah. It became more relevant and more okay. real. Even that's in my your- experience too in Sierra Leone. Yeah. Those little villages is where people actually travel to, to get like healed by Jewish doctors. You don't see that stuff too much in the big cities though. And was it relevant in your guys's world? Like, did you get up thinking about it? Riley? No, I, I wouldn't say so. No, I, I think that the majority of the, the village in the town that we were in was, was pervaded with uh, Western thinking. So it was, it, it was actually really hard to try and find a shaman to do these ceremonies. Like they weren't just all uh, around. It was, it was like we had to find someone who found someone who found someone. Right. And then we could do the ceremony. Same for you, Daniel. Yeah. I mean, it was relevant in the sense that you had to be aware that that's the, the lig, the religion of the people there. Um, like there was a time I left, like a bottle full of dirt that I was using to exercise outside of my house. And some guy stayed in how in his house all day because he thought that there was like juju happening. He thought someone was putting a curse on him. So aware in that sense. Yeah. And I mean, it's deeply tied into the culture. So in, in as much as it was important for my relationships, it, it was important. So yeah. Yeah. I think it was. Andrew, your life. Did you feel it? coming into your life in terms of the spirituality of the old, the old world, the magical world, if there is such, if, if that works. Yeah. Only, I, I can only recall one time when I was really sick and uh, I, they convinced me to rub herbs on my body. And that oh. was, that would be the only time that I was ever like directly affected. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the 90s in Mali, it was alive and well. I mean, almost everything had a iconic or symbolic uh, partnership, especially with nature, names, everything. But it's changing. Maybe we end on that with, if this is an old world, new world podcast about the principles of each, the moral system, value systems, religious systems, science systems in each. The old world's shrinking. Would you guys agree? Daniel? Absolutely. I would agree. That's my experience. Riley? Shrinking? Uh, Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Same for you, Andrew? No doubt. It's interesting. I actually think it's shrinking where it has been traditionally understood to be, I think it's being reborn now in the new world. I think what was understood as scientific truth, the truth of the material world, the truth of science as per the material world is giving way now. It's giving way to the sense that I make my own truth. I don't even need science to do that anymore, which is a type of return maybe. Interesting. I think Siri's talking to me. As you said, science. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> guys. And there it is. <laughs> I swear to you. That is nuts. Um, all right, guys. For Daniel Paternos, 
who currently, Daniel, you're currently working for First Things up in Appalachia, right? Yes, sir. And heading to Sierra Leone this week for Riley Doris. Riley, where are you right now? Uh, I'm on an island called Abaco in the Bahamas. And you're doing relief work there after the hurricane from last year, right? Yep. And Andrew in Russia. What town? Ufa. Um, and having a baby and maybe even adopting some babies in Russia, yeah? That is correct. So for Daniel, Andrew, and Riley, all First Things Foundation guys, and for Watar, Daniel and Andrew produce it, uh, this podcast, I'm John Hears. You know what? Stay close to us because there's more stuff like this coming up. We're always very thankful to have people on board. We're always helpful uh, or thankful to say Shenis Gagimarjos which, of course, means to you the victory. It's often said at the KP table in the Georgia Republic, an old world place with very, very old world traditions, by the way. They go even further back than Christianity. That's our pod for today. Thanks for coming. It's produced by Andrew. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. And it's produced by Daniel. You actually get to hear their voice. Say hi, Daniel. What's up? And the creators of First Things Foundation, of which Riley is one. Hi, Riley. Goodbye, (laughs) Riley. (laughs) We're a nonprofit that lives and works in some of the world's toughest neighborhoods. We immerse there in order to create momentum for local change makers, folks we call impresarios. Impresarios work hard on their vision for a better life, and our job is to support them and give them the facilitation, right, and drive the resources they need for their beautiful project. Share Watar with a friend. Hit us up with solid review on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcast, your love for us, for these guys, helps us to love and serve others. Knock from these. Hasta luego. Kambufo. You guys want to add any? Das Vidania. Das Vidania. Au revoir. Peace out. <laughs>